listening to the Northern Football Podcast with Peter Galindo and Thomas Neff. Yes, it's episode 62 of the Northern Football Podcast. I'm Peter Galindo with Thomas Neff. No Alex Gange Ruzik this time, but he is a friend of the show and we're looking forward to welcoming him again. Komba, how are you? All rested up for yet another sneaky busy week in Canadian soccer. Yeah, it seems like it just cannot get any busier. Uh, we got the Nations League draw. Canadians are back at their clubs. Uh, that in the roundup, the mailbag, and the CPL has finally returned. Very, very exciting. And we'll know who Canada uh, will play in June uh, as far as uh, what's happening with Canadians in their, in their respective leagues. Absolutely. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss any episodes. If you prefer Apple or Spotify, then leave us a rating. And if you're an Apple user, then drop a review as well. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter at NorthernFootball, at GalindoPW, and at Thomas Neff. So, a little more than 72 hours after Friday's World Cup draw, Canada was in another draw, the Nations League. Uh, being in part one of League A, they avoided Mexico, the U.S., and Costa Rica, so no marquee clash with a CONCACAF giant this time around. Canada was drawn into Group C with Honduras and Curaçao with matches beginning in June and then a second window of games in March of 2023. The top team of each three-team group advances to League A semifinals. Second place in the group qualifies for the 2023 Gold Cup automatically. Last place is relegated to League B and has to participate in the Gold Cup qualifiers. Uh, now, Peter, what are your thoughts on the group that Canada receives? Obviously, no Jamaica, no Panama. But, you know, you still get Honduras, a team that, you know, made it to the Ocho yep. and Canada played. And, of course, you get uh, Curaçao, a team that uh, just missed out. Yeah, it's a pretty competitive group for sure. Curaçao is probably good enough to compete in the Ocho. They have some decent young players in the fold now who play in the Eredivisie and just in general some solid European-based players in that squad. We'll see what Honduras looks like, but I'm sure it'll be similarly experimental like January and February, but we know they're a tough out away. The home game should be straightforward enough, as they often are for Canada. It's solid enough prep. And it's probably the most competitive group of the four groups overall in League A. So I think that they should get a decent challenge, but it would have been a lot different compared to, say, having the U.S. in 2019 and having a home and away game against them. Yeah, I think you definitely miss out with having you know that kind of competition against the U.S. or Mexico or Costa Rica, as previously mentioned. But you know what? Canada's avoided uh, a team like Granada. At the end of the day, yes, it's Nations League. But these are not friendlies. These are official cap tying matches. Uh-huh. So if you're going to bring in youngsters, um, you have, you know, the potential to at least um, in a World Cup year, use it as preparation uh, because we know and we received questions about this uh, later that Canada can still schedule a friendly in the month of June. Well, that's it. And this is why they can kind of hit two birds with one stone in a way. As we're going to see, I think this is going to be a pretty interesting window just in terms of who's going to get called up because there are many many options they can go with and there are some dual nationals out there that could probably be cap tied and or convinced and and brought in so uh, as I kind of said a few months ago Thomas that this is going to end up for me at least being the conca cap tying nations league in a lot of ways just because of the opportunities that'll be there to lock some players down 
So let's continue with uh, the draw because we received uh, two questions. Uh, the first one is from Canem and T fan. Do you think John Herman will give looks to new players for Nations League rather than continue with the same group of guys? For example, Harry Payne, Bilal Halbuni, Lucas McNon, Luca Petrasso, Richie Ennen, and Raheem Edwards, along with guys like Corvinu and Sterling. Will he give a call to dual nationals like Mitrovic, Diash, and Jevison? I think we'll see a Gold Cup situation in that the core stays the same, but Herdman will add a few new names. Who those new names will be, I think, is the wild card, because the likes of Edwards, Peyton, Ennen, etc., absolutely deserve to be called up. Um, and I've said it many times, this is the window to call up dual nationals. Serbia has Nations League in June, so you can call up Mitrovic, and bring him into a camp, get him included. I don't think the England under-19s have any competitive games, so Jebison can be available. Diash, I'm, I'm, I'm uncertain about, but you need a player in his mold in this squad, so if you want to call him up and you think he's ready, then why not? I personally think you could wait another couple of months to bring him in, but if you want to bring him in in June, I don't think anybody will complain. And at the Gold Cup... You could say the non-regulars were Gutierrez, who was a late call-up for uh, injury replacements there, Ayo Akinola, Tyler Pasher, and if you want to count these guys, because I know they were in the March squad and I believe in the June squad as well, Theo Corbinu, Frank Sturring, and Dane St. Clair. That's six spots, and I think you can give all of those six spots to guys like Peyton, Edwards, and, and, and then the three big dual nationals. Yeah, I think it's an interesting debate. You look at the players that have been pushing uh, to crack into this Canadian squad, and the players mentioned in the question are pretty much it. I mean, a lot of them are in really good form uh, at their clubs, and it's not going to be easy for John Herdman because even the players that are you know, in the outside looking in, hoping to make uh, the squad, I mean, we just saw uh, how FIFA uh, allow, will allow 26 players to be named to a World Cup squad. John Herman still has to figure out what his provisional squad uh, will be like. You look at the situation, the Gold Cup, and, and that's the first, that's the perfect example because you know 14, 15 players you know stay the same, and then you have eight or nine spots to really give players a mention. And 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 we know that in June there was that taxi squad. We'll, we'll have to see if the the taxi the taxi squad uh, returns. But Herman all the time has players uh, in his list, as he said uh, in several press conferences, Peter, yeah. uh, where he has players, you know, that, you know, he's ready to call upon. And, and I'm sure uh, that he has tried to convince these dual nationals because as we saw, Peter, uh, when Canada qualified, uh, the likes of Jevison, the likes of Giash, you could tell that, you know, they were, you know, inspired by this movement. Uh, not Flores. We'll talk, we'll get into that a little bit later, but, uh, but it is promising. <laughs> It is, it is. And yes, Herdman does have to put feelers out there. He does have conversations with multiple players because that's what you do. You, you kind of speak to, you know, probably 30 to 40 guys and then you whittle your list down from there just based on who's available, who clubs are going to release. If it's obviously a FIFA mandated window, they might not have a choice in a lot of cases. But this is what he does, and he does his due diligence, and it seems like all the coaches across all the youth levels as well as the senior teams are, are doing that work to make sure that they can convince players, unlike past cycles where they would drop the ball on this and then they'd lose some pretty promising guys. I don't think we're going to see that this time around, which is very encouraging. 
It's the return of the Canucks Abroad Roundup. Plenty of Canadians were back in action after the March window. As we discussed last week, Alfonso Davies is slated to return for the second leg of the Champions League quarterfinals versus Villarreal on April 12th. Uh, Jonathan David, like a few others, uh, came off the bench for a little, about 30 minutes in their nil-nil draw with Bordeaux on Friday. Ike Ugbo was an unused substitute for Troyes, who earns another massive win over Rhymes on Sunday. Over in Belgium, no Tejan Buchanan for Bruges in their 3-1 win over Bershaw on Friday after a quick turnaround for him. The club is obviously deciding to give him much-needed rest. Yep. In the second division, Liam Fraser, he went the full 94 dines in a 3-0 victory over Molenbeek on Sunday. Stefan Stacchio, also an unused sub for Porto on Monday as well. Kyle Lahren. Came off the bench for Besiktas in the 70th against Tramsaspor on Sunday before he was sent off another 10 minutes later. Tiba Hutchinson uh, checked in during second half stoppage time as well. Uh, no rest for Sam Adekube, who went 90 for Hadaspor in a nil-nil draw with Adana Demerspor. Marcel Flores has made his match day squad for the first time against Crystal Palace on Monday. Uh, in the Premier League. More on Flores coming up in the next segment as his father leaked uh, that he would be in the 18. Uh, in the championship, Daniel Jepson got his first start for Sheffield United since his return uh, from loan at Burn Albion, going 78 minutes in a 1-0 loss to Stoke. Uh, Peter, how do you look? Largely uneventful, but there were a few noteworthy takeaways still. Um, Jevison's only shot was blocked, but he did well to make runs into the box. He was cushioning the ball and and, and shooting uh, quite effectively whenever he did get that chance. His touch under pressure and in duels has improved greatly. Also, he's very comfortable dribbling in cl- close quarters compared to the start of the season. Still needs to be assertive in duels, though. He won't engage in aerial duels or be indecisive as to whether he's going to go up in the air for a ball, which is a bit strange because when he does go up for duels, he does all right because of his height, but he has to gain more strength 100%. Sometimes he does get bodied off the ball a bit too easily. But compared to what we saw at the start of the season, even halfway through his loan at Burton Albion, there have been some pretty notable improvements here. The key is just getting consistent minutes, which... He may not get for the rest of this season, but next season could be the time. Because keep in mind, he is still 18 years old and and has a lot of room for growth, right? So that is the bright side. No Junior Horlitt for Reading after his involvement with Canada. Still no Richie Larea for Ryan Forrest either. More on Larea's situation coming up in the mailbag. Down in League One, Theo Corbino had 25 minutes off the bench as MK Dons beat Shrewsbury Town 2-0. Liam Miller went the full 94 at Basel, logging in four key passes and three shots. But once again, the end product just wasn't there for him or his teammates in that situation as Basel drew 2-2 with Young Boys. Scott Kennedy checked in to Jan Regensburg's game after the hour mark and helped them draw 1-1 with Hanover. Uh, Derek Nelius went the full 90 for Pantelikos, 1-0 loss on Saturday in the Greece Super League. Milan Boria started in goal for Red Star Belgrade in a 5-1 win over Stefan Mitrovic's Radniki Nish. Mitrovic scored the lone goal for his side as he finished the 90. Now he has eight goals and one assist in 27 games this year. 
After 14 games, Rich Yannon has finally scored in the Russian Premier League uh, for Nishi Novgorod in a 2-1 win over Rostov. Yannon also had an assist. Harry Payne logged 65 minutes for Ross County in Saturday's 1-1 draw with Hearts in the Scottish Prem. Ben Payton, his brother, was an unused sub for that one. Theo Bear was an unused sub for St. Johnson in a big 1-0 win over Livingston. And Julian Dunn, he's made his debut for Hamcom in their season opener. 2-2 uh, draw with Lilstrom uh, in Norway, that is. Clement Bailliha, his teammates, uh, also at Hamcom, was not in the matchday squad. Uh, what did you think of uh, Dunn's debut? A player that, you know, we, we could potentially have uh, on the show. Yeah, this is also someone we overlooked on Friday with Alex when we were discussing right-footed center backs to monitor, which is our mistake because Dunn is definitely near the top of that list. He started in the center of a back three. So that's optimistic from a national team perspective as a right-footed center back who can play in the center of that system or the right. He was in the middle of that back three and was pushing up more often to engage in aerial duels, to carry the ball forward, things like that. The intensity of the game was definitely a lot higher compared to the friendlies he was playing in. And there were times when he nearly coughed up the ball in possession. But I think if he becomes more decisive and gains chemistry with his teammates in those competitive settings, it'll solve a lot of the minor issues at the end of the day that Dunn had in this game. But generally, there was a lot to like. Dominant in the air, confident when carried the ball, progressed it forward. And because he is tall and quick, when he misses a tackle, Thomas, he can recover very quickly. Still has to get the timing and anticipation right to be 100% consistent with those tackles, when to make them. But very encouraging debut for Dunn, and we'll see if more of the same happens. It was kind of strange because I noticed that there were some websites that do these player ratings, like SofaScore, things like that, who gave him a very low rating. I can't see the justification for that because I thought he was overall pretty solid. Like, I, I don't think... He was, you know, like say an 8 or 9 out of 10, but, you know, close to a 7 out of 10 for sure. And I think he has an opportunity because obviously Scandinavia, I think, is the perfect landing spot uh, for players. Uh, because if they do impress, uh, clubs from bigger leagues uh, are watching. There's tons of proof uh, in that. But you speak of uh, dominance, as, as obviously Julian Dunn was in that game. In MLS, Raheem Edwards has been very dominant. He had yes. another assist for the LA Galaxy, and leads the league in that category with four. Simple question. Can him in T in June? <laughs> probably at this rate, yeah. The, the fact he made the taxi squad for March probably indicates that he is very close to making it. And uh, he hasn't gotten a call-up, from what I can remember, in almost four years, which is pretty crazy. But when you think he hasn't been playing all that regularly until basically last season at LAFC... It makes sense, but now he yeah, is really making a case. Call up, yeah, I believe his last call-up with Canada might have been in March against New Zealand. I'm pretty certain on that. Maybe, if not yeah. September of that year. Yeah, that sounds about right. So <laughs> it shows how long ago it was. Um, but again, just another terrific performance. I mean, he had five clearances, one tackle, won seven of his 13 duels, um, 42 of 48 passes, had the assist, of course. Drew three fouls, three of four dribbles completed. It was just another overall solid display from Edwards. And that's the thing. It's not just like he's doing all the offensive 
traits here and, and showing those off. He's also shining pretty well defensively for a guy who's not really an out-and-out left back. We saw him play there a little bit for TFC, but generally speaking, he was better going forward than he was defending, and now he's improved that side of his game. And here's the thing. It's really hard to avoid someone who's doing um, exceptionally well. You know, it's weird because, you know, he was playing for the other LA team and all of a sudden switches uh, clubs uh, to the rival, uh, obviously with a coach uh, that he is very, very familiar with, and he continues to rise his stock. Another player who has risen his stock uh, in the last couple of years is Mark Anthony K. He bossed the midfield for the Colorado Rapids on a Saturday in a 1-1 draw with Ralph Salt Lake. Uh, Maxim Cropo started in a 4-2 win over Orlando City. Uh, Daniel Henry wasn't in the matchday squad for LFC, while Tesha Canela came off the bench in the 83rd minute for Orlando. Dane Sinclair has seemingly won the number one job for Minnesota United as he started 2-1 loss uh, to the Seattle Sounders. That's three straight starts. So his status as number three goalkeeper uh, within the Canadian player pool uh, is locked if he's playing. I mean, that's just, it should be. I mean, I I even tweeted out that with Bresa playing regularly, uh, St. Clair obviously, you know, getting the number one job, and Hassel, uh, you know, Alex's boy. <laughs> yes. Uh, him playing as well. Uh, you have a great situation with five goalkeepers uh, playing regularly. You do. But if St. Clair is the one starting uh, every week, then, I mean, that they all are. Don't get me wrong here. But basically, St. Clair is the clear number three for now if he is starting for Minnesota. Because... As a shot stopper, he's terrific. Uh, great command of his area. Distribution is probably the one side of his game where you look at it and think, yeah, he could use a lot of work in that department. But everything else, he's got it. Whereas I think the other two are still working on the, like basically every side of their game, just fine-tuning it. As long as St. Clair is starting games, then he is Canada's number three. And it's actually crazy to think that he is Canada's third-choice goalkeeper when he is in form because he's a pretty top goalkeeper in MLS, Thomas, but it goes to show you the quality of goalkeepers that Canada has in the player pool right now. Yeah, it, it's great to see. And I mean, you got to feel for someone like Sebastian Bress. I mean, he did everything right. Uh, even, you know, just having incredible performances in the CONCAP Champions League against top Liga MX sides. But again, Sinclair has one big game. Also worth mentioning uh, that Sinclair already has a cap. Right, so yeah. I think uh, Herman has to put that uh, into um, consideration, and the fact uh, that Sinclair has already been uh, in these camps before, yeah. uh, Brezza hasn't at least with the senior side. Uh, Tyler Pasher had about 18 minutes, but picked up an assist uh, for the Houston Dynamo in a 3-1 win over Inter Miami. Uh, he scored in his previous substitute appearance on March 19th as well. Charles Andreas Brim, remember him? He had 86 minutes for FC Eindhoven in their 1-0 victory over Dortrecht in the second division uh, of Holland. Uh, they remain in fourth place as they eye promotion to the Dutch top flight. You have to say with him, uh, Brim, uh, he's a player that we discussed last week, uh, Peter, with Alex uh, joining the show, of course. Um, individually, he's had a great season. And obviously, collectively, uh, his club, you know, they are very close uh, to getting it done and playing uh, and what is a, a top 10 uh, European league, would you say because of his age, he's not that young uh, as other players, but would you say that 
he's someone that you'd include in the in the World Cup uh, provisional squad. If he's playing next year in a top flight league, which it looks like he might be, and he is playing fairly regularly, then yeah, I don't think there's really any reason not to because he can play in multiple positions, which is a huge advantage. He can play as a right winger. He can play as a number 10. He can play up front. He has been playing a lot of striker this year, so obviously he's going to get the edge there, but the numbers really speak for themselves here, Thomas. I mean, he has six goals, one assist this year. But when you look at the underlying numbers, they're even more impressive. He's averaging 0.42 expected goals per 90, 2.42 shots per 90. And he's completing around half of his dribbles and he attempts 6.2 dribbles per 90 minutes. So he's making things happen on the ball this year, which is a breath of fresh air compared to the start of the season when I remember when he got called up in October and I thought to myself, why Brim of all people? Because he just never really caught my eye for the previous year that I had been tracking him, but now he has shut me up completely because he's become just more well-rounded in general, which I talked about last week. So if he is getting regular-ish minutes in a top flight next year, then why not? Why not include him in a provisional squad? See, here's the thing. Though. He gets called up in October when he's not at his top form. Uh, now he is. Uh, but obviously, nonetheless, uh, Canada's player pool, especially at center forward, has been more than established. Um, I would even say that perhaps June, uh, you give him a shot, depending on who's available, of course. Yeah. But nonetheless, you have to say that when Brim was called up in October, a lot of us, I'll include myself in this group, were saying that Enin deserved that chance. Yeah. Uh, just because obviously Enin was playing, is playing in the Russian top flight. And obviously, it is a higher level. But nonetheless, looks like John Herdman, and that's why he's coaching, and, and this is and not us. It, it seems like he saw something in Brim uh, that not a lot of people saw. Finishing up with the run-up with uh, two questions. Damino Pinchile scored for Venezia's U19 in a 7-0 thumping of Pordenone on Saturday. His loan expires this June, Peter. Uh, he did make his Serie A match day squad uh, for Venezia's first team against Inter. Didn't yeah. ultimately get off the bench. Any word on what's next for him? Last I heard, he wasn't going to be retained by Venezia, but th- this was two months ago. So lots can change between now and June when his loan is slated to end. I think he could be a decent fit in Vancouver's system, but I imagine he'll want to continue in Europe given this experience. And it's not even a guarantee that he comes back to Vancouver and gets minutes right off the bat, which he would actually need. And yes, he's playing in the under-19s, but he's playing every week in a pretty solid youth setup in Italy. So that is quite valuable. And if he comes back to Vancouver and doesn't play, his development gets stunted from there. So he would have to get some sort of assurance before coming back if there is no European interest and Vancouver is the place he has to stay for at least the next month or two as he waits for his next step. Speaking of youngsters, Georgi Atanasov had another sub-appearance for Arda in the Bulgarian League, uh, going about 10 to 12 minutes in a one nothing loss to Slavia. Uh, one to watch out for uh, in the U20s. Yeah, I think he could be. I mean, he had 300 or so minutes last year. He has about 130 or so this year, but he's gotten a lot of appearances off the bench in the last 
probably six to eight weeks, he should be a call-up for the under-20s. I mean, I think he's everything you'd want. He's still 17, playing professionally, very technically and tactically advanced for his age, and much like I said about Brim, Atanasov can play in multiple positions. He can play as a 10, he can play on either wing. That could be advantageous for the under-20s come the CONCACAF Championship later this year when they have to name a pretty small squad. From the Canucks abroad, ran up to the mailbag we go. Doug McLachlan uh, is asking, uh, hitting us off with the first question, while there will be a commercial calculations and setting up for a tune-up of friendlies, uh, from a tactical perspective, who would be on the best-slash-closest analogs for Belgium, Croatia, and Morocco for Herman uh, to set up for those June-September uh, windows? We discussed this on the last show, but Italy could be one if they can somehow convince them, perhaps Algeria or Egypt. Um, I would just target sides that play in a back three because that's what Belgium does. It's looking like Croatia and Morocco are pivoting to that as well. The good news with Canada, qualifying for a World Cup and an increase in their FIFA ranking before the World Cup starts will make them more enticing for marquee countries. I remember when... Peru made the World Cup in 2018, and they got in and around the top 10 shortly after the World Cup. Having qualified for 2018 and then getting near and or into the top 10 of the FIFA rankings ended up getting Peru friendlies with Germany and the Netherlands in Europe in that September window. So it goes to show you what happens when you end up going on the rise like that. Canada still has a ways to go to get near the top 10, of course, but with marketable stars in the team, plus being from an untapped soccer market, that could lead to good opportunities. Now, speaking of good opportunities, uh, Prairie Al, if Argentina has offered to play Canada in September, would it make sense to abandon the European plan and try to convince another nation to come to Canada as well? Side note, Senegal is my dream friendly. They play fast. I think they'd be a great tune-up for Morocco. Yes. Our good friend Alex Gondorusic would probably agree with you. Yes. Um, look, here's the thing with Argentina. It looks like uh, the two friendlies with Mexico, Argentina that is, uh, has been canceled. No surprise. They're playing each other in the World Cup. They mm-hmm. probably want uh, another matchups. I think that a friendly with Argentina is perhaps more valuable than depends depends de- it depends on the national team for me. If it's just any national team, as opposed to if it's you know in Italy, uh, you know in England, but 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 even I would say that Argentina, you have to take it because especially if 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 it's a home match, if Argentina can come to Toronto or or Vancouver and you sell out the place in terms of what it would mean for revenue for the CSA, or maybe. Canada goes to play in Buenos Aires, as they once did. They probably want redemption because the last time they played there, yeah. Peter, uh, they lost 5-0. Yes. And, and that was a tune-up match for Argentina uh, in the World Cup, and, and Canada was not with the best players. Exactly. Um, well, TYC is reporting from Argentina that Scaloni and uh, AFA president Claudio Tapia will likely target another CONCACAF team or maybe a Comebol team. So Canada's in the mix, it seems like. If they can play Argentina in September closer to home, then it could be worth staying. But it seems like the CSA is set on going to Europe because you're not going to get European teams coming to North America in the fall. And I think all that travel would not be the best for the players. Um, Yes, the allure of Argentina and Messi is significant and things couldn't change if they are interested, but you could play against multiple top-tier opposition in Europe in the fall 
if you go overseas. You're right. Yeah, definitely right about that. But look, I mean, even June uh, looks like a possibility uh, of an extra friendly. We'll just have to see. We'll have to yeah. see. Uh, but but again, I think Argentina is, is is very enticing from a from a fan perspective. Chris talks thoughts on Herman stating players are not safe in his squad. Uh, he wants them in form and playing regularly. He wants players playing at a high level as possible. To me, this is a warning to Cavallini, Piet, and Henry. Uh, cannot be a squad or out of form MLS player and make the World Cup. Yeah, Herman did say he wanted to be loyal to the players that started qualifying and kind of got them to the dance, but his watch out comments make sense even if it sounds like mixed signals because I think if guys are in form and were there from the beginning, they're going to be prioritized. Plus, he won't want to mess with the team's chemistry on and off the field. But we didn't see... Liam Fraser in every squad, for instance, when he didn't play regularly. Same with Liam Miller. He missed the Gold Cup and the first Ocho window, but then when he joined Basel and regained form, he returned for October and every squad after that. So if three or four squad players aren't doing well and are replaceable, then he's putting pressure on them, and that's good because you can't have players slacking off. You know, you heard the comments about not being satisfied with the January window when analyzing the stats and how they manage those games. They have standards now. They're not going to rest now that they've accomplished certain goals. Um, I think the comment about wanting Tier 1 players applies to the younger guys like Kone, Johnston, Miller, who he actually has said openly that he wants all those guys going to Europe as soon as possible. Name-dropping Akinola or Jebison or Ennen is done for a reason. Uh, Herdman is very cunning when he speaks to us. Like, he does have an ulterior motive. So it wouldn't be surprising to me if he is just putting pressure on certain guys to, to raise their level from now until the end of the World Cup. Unless, for me, it's uh, for Richie Larea, uh, who has no game time whatsoever in England. And then comes in and is a man of the match in Costa Rica, for example, uh, unless it's that scenario, I think players are in trouble. In a way, uh, how long can you really justify a player not playing at, uh, at his club? We saw with Junior Horlid, but, but the reason was that obviously Junior Horlid uh, ex- was and, and continues to be an experienced veteran. I think you can make a case that veterans uh, may have the the edge there, uh, but if it's a young player, Peter, unless it's a Tejan Buchanan type, you know, situation, if it's just a young player like Kone, I don't think Hartman will will take his chances and 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 you know say okay, this player is is a valued member of it. Jacob the box guy, what would you consider a successful World Cup appearance? In my opinion, a knockout round for sure. That seems ambitious to me. Um, I think if they're just competitive in every game and they're a tough out in every game in the group stage, get a few goals and maybe even a point or two, I would be happy with that because people are trying to be cautiously optimistic. I get that. And listen, there is an opportunity for Canada to possibly cause some upsets, but make no mistake about it. This is a difficult group. Every group is. If they get out of the knockout round, that is a massive, massive upset. In a lot of ways. I would personally be fine if they 
got knocked out in the group stage but gave a good account of themselves. I think the majority of Canadians feel the same way. Others think that the knockout stage is possible, and that's fine. Because there have been times when Canada have shocked us before, so this won't be the first time. You know, I resemble what you're saying. Uh, I think this will be the World Cup where Canada gets its first goal. Uh, certainly its first point. But look, I think I'm going to go a little bit far here. If Canada loses all three matches, I don't know, let's say 2 nothing, 3 nothing, one nothing, just to give you uh, different scorelines. Obviously, Belgium, Croatia, and Morocco are tough opponents, but on different levels. As long as they're competitive, I think, like you say, most people would be happy. But here's the kicker. Canada has to score in this World Cup. I don't think most Canadians will forgive Canada for going scoreless uh, at this no. World Cup. No. Uh, because obviously they were scoreless last time and they didn't win a game or win a point last time. So if this exact same result happens, people will not be happy. And we'll probably be hearing about this for, um, I don't know, Peter, the next four years. Blair Donnelly uh, at Medic1849, although still early, rumor has it Canada will not be getting a World Cup kit. Uh, they will stay with what they currently have. Any insights on this? Surely Nike won't squander an opportunity to make a boatload of money. I honestly don't know what's going to happen. I certainly think that. I feel like it's a bit foolish not to release a, a World Cup kit, especially given all the the hoopla that surrounds this national team at the moment but if they're having problems distributing what they currently have what on earth will happen when they release a world cup kit and that becomes available like i just think they're doing it because they may not have the capability to because i feel like it would be really strange for nike just to say yeah we're not going to do that that makes absolutely no sense from their perspective so I, i think it may have something to do with the capability of canada distributing that kit to its fans because not only are they going to be popular you know in canada they could be popular around the world right because i mean there are a lot of people who are fans of alfonso davies for example who might want his canada kit especially if it's a world cup kit so that's what i personally feel hopefully it changes because it is really cool to see all these new world cup kits come out and and you know see what they're going to look like on the pitch so let's hope canada's involved in that Canada soccer just continues to astonish me in ways that I didn't even think was possible, Peter. Uh, This is a perfect opportunity to really uh, market and sell a World Cup kit, Uh, like you say, to uh, even non-Canadians around the globe when you have literally a global superstar uh, tied to your name. Let's continue with the mailbag. Uh, Alex Adams, uh, any updates on Dual National and Mike LaFarbe, any more dual national news pretty similar question here well it's been very quiet apart from flores which we'll dive into momentarily uh all i'll say is there was a report from chris smith of 90 minutes in january that said the csa was going to be pushing hard for daniel jebison therefore i would look at that june window as the time he finally comes in they had ugbo in november kone in march so Jebison in June, we'll have to find out. Um, as far as we're aware, Mitrovic is still open to join Canada if they invite him. Diash is working on his club career, so I wouldn't anticipate anything changes with him until that's sorted. But uh, Jebison, we'll, we'll probably keep some eyes on here over the next couple of months. Ramsey, uh, at this point, is it safe to say that Marcelo's floors will likely be choosing Mexico? What are your thoughts on a rumor that Herman promises to bring him to a World Cup. And Mike Lafarve, 
I'm assuming that his dad flowing the Herman offering Flores World Cup spot story uh, if he commits to Canada. But is there any more to this uh, supposed rumor? Well, making the Premier League squad will probably fast-track Flores into the Mexico setup for Nations League this June. It, it sure seems likely. Canada has a pre-Nations League friendly they could call him up for, as he did say that he wanted to participate in both camps before choosing. But I've said for a while, Thomas, I'm pretty sure you said the same thing, that Mexico's favored. And his recent comments and aspirations about playing for Mexico almost confirms that. The report, I feel, was partially true, but partially not true. It was true in that I'm sure Herdman said, hey, you can make the World Cup squad, but you need to earn it first and come in here and get some minutes under your belt, as Marca did report him saying to Flores, but I don't think he full-on promised a World Cup spot for him. That would really disrupt the room. This is probably the biggest saga uh, since the Tomori scandal, whatever you want to call it, in, in Canadian terms. Listen, I have read just too much South American media. I can tell you that this was nothing more than what you call um, one of those cards you use in poker, Peter. I'm sure you know this. Uh, you know, just kind of your last out. This is this seems like um, blackmail <laughs> to me. The fact that you know he just made his Premier League match day squad, like you say, Nations League are cap tying matches. Um, you know, he could be called into that with Mexico, especially with Mexico uh, probably being, bringing a much less competitive squad, although probably still a lot of the same stars. I don't think that a player who has yet to make his professional debut uh, can just walk in a room and then just be guaranteed a spot in the 26-man squad over eating someone like Kone. And yes, Kone is with CF Montreal. His value, obviously his international rise, isn't uh, what it is uh, with Flores. But nonetheless, the fact that you know Flores is making headlines this early, this, for me, I just find that uh, for Tata Martino and Herdman, they are just trying to use uh, their leverage that they have uh, to bring Flores in. And unfortunately for Canada, because Mexico is in the World Cup, Mexico can promise him the exact same thing. They've lost all their leverage, I feel. Alex Adams, U20 camp confirmations uh, and Canon T fan, which European-based dual national do you think will make the U20 roster? So the camp squad should drop this week as it begins on April 10th and runs for 12 days in Costa Rica versus Costa Rica for two games. If the camp starts Sunday, then I say the squad is announced towards the end of the week. I'm not sure if it's going to overshadow, say, the Canadian women playing Nigeria. It could even come as early as Wednesday, just because that is kind of a free day, quote-unquote, for Canada soccer. So maybe that could be the time they drop the squad, have a media availability, things like that. I've been told it'll be a strong European presence. I know of three names that are absolutely on there. I've mentioned these guys before. Speaking of under-20s, one name to track over the next few months here, especially heading into next season, Ronan Kratt with German fourth-tier side Ulm, who is top of the table and fighting for promotion to the third division, is one to watch here. He just cracked the first team in March after scoring 15 goals in 33 games with the under-19s. 
The kid has really good close control, composure in front of goal, really good off-the-ball movement as well. Uh, Krat is 18. He can play as a winger or a striker. Played for Barcelona's Residency Academy in Arizona at under 15, 16, and 17 level as well. Recruited by Carleton University at 16, but then moved to Germany prior to his first year of university and also declined an offer from the Whitecaps as well. So this is a guy who could be on the rise here in the next few months. CPL 2.0, is Hugo and Bong uh, on the radar for the U20 team? I would imagine he was part of the 50 who received preliminary invites. Even if he's playing in USL League One, which is a third tier, if you're 17 years old and playing professionally, you deserve a chance. He's good in the air, has a powerful shot, could fill a void because I can't think of too many pure number nines who are eligible other than Lowell Wright. So, yeah, I'm sure he's on the radar for sure, especially given that he's from a MLS Academy system too. Before we wrap up um, the U20 uh, part uh, of all these questions, I got to say I have not been as this excited uh, for a U20 uh, camp, a U20 uh, qualifying tournament in a very long time, Peter. And yeah. this is way this is because in the last couple of years, the CSA and Marabilo specifically, along with Hardman, of course, has you know done some scouting. They reached out to players in different clubs, you know, different leagues, and have really done their due diligence. And for that, I am grateful. Um, you who have who you have a lot of sources uh, of uh, different camps telling you that this is the case uh, can verify that. It's great to see because there has just been way too much Canadian talent, really mm-hmm. not used at all. And it's you know amazing to see that a lot of these dual nationals have a chance now to come into a Canada camp. And they are not just dependent 100% on their club careers uh, to make that step next to the next level. Uh, Ban S, update on David and Laren rumors. Any new European interest in Johnston now that qualifying is over? Ooh, well, for David, all I'm going to say is don't sleep on Inter. They've really stepped up their interest in David. Tactically, I think it's a fit for him as well. They compete for titles and play in the Champions League. I'm sure he prefers England, and Arsenal will keep pursuing him, I'm sure, but that's a spot that I wouldn't sleep on right now. I'm As for Laren, still quiet for the past few weeks since the Huddersfield Town links popped up. There's a stalemate between him and the club regarding talks uh, with Besiktas, of course, or lack thereof. So really no clearer on that. And I doubt we'll see much on Johnston until he's fully settled at Montreal. He's swapped a lot between centre-back and wing-back in different backline combos. Um, I will break down the most recent game against Cincinnati when we get to that later, but uh, I think that's the key for him at this point in time. TFCNU, should Sam Adekube push for a transfer away from Hattersport uh, this summer or stay where he knows he'll get regular minutes? heading into the World Cup. Is there anywhere in particular you would want him to go? If he can get that move to a big five league like Herdman wants his players to do, he has to do his due diligence regarding the allotted playing time. Um, Yes, you can earn the minutes and, and and you have to prove it. And things do change regularly. That will lead to a player not getting the opportunity he thought. Just look at Richie Larea. The downside for Atacubi is that he's 27. So you feel like if he's going to make that jump, it has to be over the next few months. I think he's ready for that jump, especially now that he's staying fit and gaining confidence going forward on the dribble. Um, If there was anywhere in particular I'd want to see him go, 
I think he could do a really good job in the Bundesliga. I think he'd do well in Liga. Somewhere like that, because he has the two-way capabilities to, to be a pretty decent threat at left back. Joseph Porco, do you think Richard Larea should request to be loaned back to an MLS club for the summer? Personally, I think no. I think this yeah. would show um, you know him giving up. Not giving up, but yeah, pretty much giving up on what is uh, European dream. And I think he should stay there because, uh, as you just said previously, things can change quickly. Yeah, exactly. And look, he's a player that Forrest would have wanted mainly for next season. Jed Spence will be gone back to Middlesbrough and likely sold. Plus, it's a chance for Larea to participate in a full preseason and lock down a spot. So no, I, I don't think he's going to seek a, a loan back to an MLS club. Mark Bahensky, any rumblings of a potential Liam Miller move this summer? Do you think it's time for him to make a move? Uh, personally, I'd like to see him dominate for a season at Basel before moving a great club to be at. I would agree with that, yeah. Um, I, I think he can make a move next year for sure. This is the thing, right? He's finally landed at a club where he's getting regular minutes, where he's making strides in his development as a player, and he's still 22 years old. He's not going to be turning 23 until the new season next year. So there's still plenty of time for him to really dig in and shine there and then maybe get a move to a bigger league. Uh, so there's really no rush. But th the important part is that he continues to grow as a player because I think that's absolutely what was killing him for the last couple of years was getting these loans and then kind of starting out well, then stagnating from there, coming back to Liverpool and then not getting a move for the longest time. Wanderer, Dave, any other profile of center back that might come over or are we forgetting? Uh, still think we look at least one short uh, there, especially in case of injury. Well, besides Holmes, McNaughton, Waterman, the guys that we talked about last week, um, Julian Dunn's the other obvious call, plus, you know, another man that we'll discuss right now, actually. There is one name that I will add, um, and that's Andreker James. He hasn't played a lot, but he is a name that if he, you know, finds himself playing time, he could find himself back in the mix, although, of course, uh, it is a long shot. Edward Hongsing Wong, uh, do you foresee Halbuni breaking into Bremen's first team before the end of the season? Uh, where do you think Halbuni will need uh, to be in his club career just to justify a Kahneman T recall? I said this a few weeks back. Bremen has Omer Toprak, Marco Friedel, and Milos Velkovic at centre-back, all of whom have Bundesliga and top-flight experience in marquee leagues. Ideally... You get Halbuni minutes elsewhere on loan in the second Bundesliga, Austria, Norway, Denmark, somewhere like that, to bolster his development because he's far too good now for the fourth tier of German football. If he can get that loan, he could make a late push for the World Cup squad, which would be good for Canada because he's the prototype you'd want in a center back. Tall, athletic, good in the air, great in possession, times his tackles well, all of that good stuff but he'd need to be playing every week in a league of that caliber to justify a call-up, I think. Elgora Loco, uh, any news on Justice Smith and Carson Bushman-Dorman at Zurich? Nothing on Bushman-Dorman since the last update. Justin Smith, I've said many times, probably won't debut for Nice until the end of the season when they mathematically secure a Euro place. The issue is they've fallen out of second and are now two points adrift of Champions League qualification right now. So that's probably thrown up in the air a bit, but certainly next year could be the time when he cracks the first team. 
VDH underscore S. What's the deal with Frank Sterling? Where was there a falling out? Feels like he should have been giving a go in MLS or CPL if he ever wants to be on the Canamity Raider again. I think it's just a case of he wasn't good enough for this level at that time, and you could see it when he played. Um, He's playing every week now, but he still lacks that timing and awareness defensively. He'll push up too early and get burned, or he'll delay pressing a player that leaves a gap to exploit. He's great on the ball, though. I'll give him that. But when he played for Canada, he did make you nervous. And yes, he was debuting, but still, you, you need assuredness as a center back if you want to play at that level. Supremacy, Montreal Ice. I remember hearing about a Canadian goalkeeper in Serie B a few years ago. Any idea who it was and where he is now? I believe Axel uh, Desjardins. Yes, that's exactly who it is. Um, 22 yeah. years old now, now with Novara in Serie D after their relegation from the third tier, but he debuted with Spezia in Serie B as a 20-year-old. Started regularly for Novara in Serie D since December this year, and he's been pretty solid. He's 0.75 goals saved above expected in about 900 minutes. They're on pace to get promoted back to Serie C if things keep going well. So, yeah, I mean, it, it could be a lot worse for him, but at least he's shining in, in, in Italy still, although, you know, it is in the fourth division. Raheem at Bashira, uh, what do you think of Janine Becky signing with NWSL's Portland Thorns FC? I'm a little surprised, but she needs regular starts ahead of a busy 12 months or so for Canada. Um, plus, she gets a long-term contract, which I'm sure is very comforting. Definitely good enough to stay in Europe, but if the offers aren't there, whether financially or otherwise, then you make the decision you need to make. Final question of the mailbag. Uh, David K wants to know, hypothetically, if Brampton were to separate from Canada, where would we rank in CONCACAF? That's a good question. I would say fifth or sixth because Canada overall would be weaker without some of those players, but I say the big three would still be above a Brantham quote-unquote national team, uh, and the midfield defense would be a bit weaker than other backlines. But in terms of forwards and wingbacks, there aren't many superior groups than this 11 uh, that actually David gave us. Quillen Roberts in goal... Then you have a backline of Henry Hutchinson and Luke Singh. Then your bank of four is from right to left Buchanan, Osorio, Hoylett, and Jaquiel Marshall-Ruddy. Or I guess you could swap those two over, Marshall-Ruddy and Buchanan. And then Miller, Ugbo, Laren up front. That's pretty damn solid for, for CONCACAF. Like, I think they'd ship a lot of goals, but they'd certainly score a lot. CPL has returned. The 2022 CPL season is back this Thursday as York United faces HFX Wanderers in the season opener, uh, a game that, unfortunately, I will be there to cover. Atletico Ottawa hosts Cavalry FC in the only match on a Saturday, and then there's a Sunday doubleheader with featuring a rematch of last year's final in Pacific and Forge at Starlight Stadium, uh, plus Valor going to Edmonton earlier in the day. Uh, what is your storyline to watch out for uh, this season? I am curious to see the style of play and the quality of play in the first full quote-unquote normal season since 2019 from start to finish. Uh, Fans are going to be in home markets from the beginning, teams starting normally, so no weird anomalies or asterisks um, when we're recapping their seasons or analyzing player performance. You've had three seasons now to figure out the league, gather intel, and build a capable squad. Um, And I was very impressed with the quality of play post-bubble in 2021. So let's hope it continues. That's what I'm going to be looking for this year. 
One interesting nugget is that the CPL increased her U21 player initiative to 2,000 minutes, uh, up from 1,500 for 2022. Uh, so should be interesting to see uh, how many more youngsters um, use that. Uh, Christopher Phillips, any specific players that stand to benefit from this change? Well, I think really everybody benefits so long as the coaches believe in the league's overall message. But specifically, um, the loaned Montreal players like Jean-Aniel Assi, Sean Ray. I'm very curious to see how Lowell Wright progresses in year two as a fully-fledged starter. Had some really interesting moments um, last year and scored a few goals as well. And, uh, you know, another full year as a starter could really do some some wonders for him, but it's great to see the CPL um, continuing to believe in those younger players and giving them um, more opportunities. Let's get predictions for the top four. Who do you think uh, will make it? And who do you think might miss out? Man, I've gone back and forth with this. I think for sure you're going to see Forge and Cavalry back in there. I'm going to say York United stays in the top four as well. The fourth place team was a toss-up. For me, because, you know, I was leaning HFX, I was leaning Valor, I was leaning Ottawa. You know, even Pacific has kind of salvaged themselves in in the last few weeks here. I'm going to go Atletico. The one thing I'll say about them is because of all the turnover they've had, I think they're going to start the season slowly but finish strong. And as long as they stay in and around the top four... They're going to have a chance. So I, I think they're going to be the ones to, to grab that last spot or one of the last spots, depending on, I guess, how well they finish the year. What, what about you? See, the thing is, uh, I would say uh, HFX would be not a dark horse, but a, but a team to keep an eye on. And and the reason is this. I mean, last year when they lost Jean Morelli, yeah. you know, their finishing uh, just wasn't there. Yeah. Um, if they can, um, if they can, get the ball rolling early in the year and and keep it throughout in terms of the scoring, I think they should be okay. I also believe that Edmonton is better uh, than some people are saying, obviously because it's CPL league owned. Mm-hmm. Um, they obviously get a lot more resources in terms of the players they can get. I mean, you just saw that they got a couple loans uh, from other uh, CPL clubs and obviously MLS clubs as well. So, yeah, well, I think we'll, we'll see what happens there. I would give them uh, more of a shot than, than some of the, the pundits are, are giving them. Forge and Pacific, of course, uh, they will obviously be there. Uh, Cavalry should be there. But, but again, I don't think there should be too much change. And, and when you mention Athletic Auto, I mean, when you have only, what, seven, eight returning players, it, it looks like they, for, for them, you know, if they don't make the playoffs, we could see more change there. Art Stanton. Uh, is the CPL anywhere close to appointing a new commissioner? Feeling a little uneasy about the stability of the league uh, with Edmonton in limbo and no commissioner in place to start the new year. I don't know what you've heard, Thomas, but I haven't heard any rumblings so far. And it's bad because the longer you go without a commissioner, not to mention a league-owned team, the worse it is for you. And a lot of the CPL's issues are self-inflicted, and this could definitely be one of them if this drags out any further. The fact that they have gone multiple months now without bringing in a new commissioner, even on an interim basis, announced to the public, um, that is is really not a good thing to do, especially when you have a league-owned team. Grandpa Riley, uh, this might be a bit out of the blue, but I'm curious about your thoughts on former CPLers uh, going to MLS Next Pro. Uh, Telfer, Karajovanovic, uh, Farsi, and what's the relationship between these two leagues uh, should slash could look like? 
Yeah, well, Ryan Telford, the latest uh, player to make that jump. When it comes to Canada's MLS teams, they seem more willing to play ball with CPL. It's still too early to judge the relationship with MLS Next Pro specifically, especially after they signed a few guys and are trying to bolster their leagues there. But I can't see it being too hostile. These are MLS-run clubs in this league, and they do get a certain opportunity, the players, by being in those systems. Um, so I think it's almost it's almost like above the USL at this point, just in terms of maybe where you put them in the pecking order for players at this point in time, just because the, the money could be better. Um, you know, they're getting noticed on the regular by other MLS teams, things like that. And for the first time this season, all three Canadian MLS teams won on the same weekend. Uh, the victory lap began with Toronto FC defeating the defending champions, NYCFC 2-1 on Saturday at Bima Field. I was there. What a great game that was. A lot of Canadians impressed, and Bob Bradley continues to trust the younger Canadians as well. But who caught your eye the most in this one? Yeah, there were quite a few, though I think the top Canadian was Jonathan Osorio. I know I've been critical of how he's been deployed in the past, but playing in that number eight role, he was majestic. So elegant, carrying the ball forward, picked out some lovely passes, exploited some gaps in zone 14, had a couple of shots, um, and just to round out the numbers, 48 of 49 passes completed, three key passes, that one assist, three of four dribbles, five of seven duels won, um, but on the flip side, I thought Lucas McNaughton was generally solid, except for one continually problemed area for him, which is defensive set pieces. Um, he has such a hard time with whipped balls into the box, constantly loses his man, and it was an issue at Pacific as well. Otherwise, I thought he was very solid defensively for 85-ish minutes. And finally, Kosi Thompson had a quiet first half, but generally played it safe. And I thought he could have tracked back quicker, though McNaughton had him covered. The second half, on the other hand, he showed off his defensive solidity and some of his technique, specifically dribbling one-on-one. I hope we see more of that now that Marshall Ruddy is out. And in Cincinnati, Montreal was involved in a wild 4-3 win. Five Canadians started, six played in the game in total with Zachary Brokillard substitution. Any takeaways regarding the Canadians uh, from, you know, this uh, matchup, uh, which had seven goals? So I mentioned that I'd go in depth on Johnston earlier. He's played four games at center back and four games at wing back, including Saturday in Cincinnati. That was probably his best game yet, own goal aside, which wasn't even his fault. His crossing was excellent. He managed to get forward on occasion and was still pretty solid defensively. Nothing came down his side. Now, as far as the left side of that defense, I need to say that Kamal Miller's form has been so hit and miss this season, and I think it's down to a couple of things. First off, Lassie Lapalainen playing wingback over Matthew Chouinier, who I know is hurt at the moment, but regardless. The amount of times Lapalainen hasn't come back to cover, meaning Miller has to drift to the touchline, thus opening up space for, in this case, Alvis Powell and Luciano Acosta to exploit, I lost count. We know Miller isn't the fastest on the turn, so when he has that extra space to cover, it's not good. I also noticed that he's been far more advanced this year with his carries. And in a very small sample size, he is averaging far fewer touches in his defensive third, around 26.3 per 90, compared to last year, which was 31.9 touches in the defensive third per 90. He's attempting slightly more carries into the final third, 
and more progressive passes and passes into the final third too. That probably has a lot to do with it as well. It makes sense because if Lapalainen is going to be more attacking, then the left center back needs to push up with him at times. Either that or you get a forward and midfielder to combine with Lapalainen on those triangles. Maybe for Miller's sake, that's what they should do in Montreal because it's so obvious how teams are targeting Montreal down their left side. Finally, the Vancouver Whitecaps beat Sporting Kansas City in a rare victory over uh, KC. Ryan Raposo scored his first MLS goal to lift the Whitecaps to a win. Uh, Peter, Brian White returned, and even though he didn't score, him and Gold looked a bit more comfortable together compared to when Cavallini uh, was out there. Does that mean Cavallini is going to be riding the bench uh, from here on out for a second straight year? Yeah, it's so fluid. Gauld makes an off-the-ball run from the center towards one flank, White is on the other side, drift towards the center of the box, and then Gauld picks him out. Too often, Cavallini has been dropping or making those runs when it should probably be Gauld getting those balls and hitting early crosses to Cavallini. You don't see that same synergy with those two, and yeah, they haven't played nearly as much, but now that White is back and Vancouver won with both looking pretty solid playing together again sartini will be enticed to start white more with gold going forward i think to the news and notes uh, alfonso davies was named Concacaf men's player of the year for 2021 congratulations to him league one canada has officially launched in partnership with bc soccer soccer quebec and ontario soccer it's an alliance of Canada's existing provincial Division Three Pro-Am men's and women's soccer leagues in League One BC, League One Ontario, and PLSQ in Quebec. So that led to a question from Arch Stanton, who asked, Thoughts on the Canada League One announcement? Can we expect a PLSQ League on Quebec rebrand in 2023? Probably yes, um, and it's obviously very encouraging to see this, and you hope that other provinces follow suit, starting with Alberta, because we know how much talent there is in that province. But even a Prairie League and a Maritimes League would be awesome to incorporate the likes of FC Manitoba, Foothills in Calgary, etc. The fact we could see interleague tournaments plus potential future competitions and perhaps better funding into these leagues is a positive step because we've seen how many current Canadian national team players got their starts in League One Ontario specifically, but even PLSQ. I'm excited to see more clubs participate in the Canadian Championship too because I'm sure that's going to help expedite that process and bringing in a proper FA Cup format to the tournament like we've been clamoring for is becoming a reality before our very eyes. Elsewhere, Jaquiel Marshall-Ruddy underwent successful knee surgery, but there is no timeline for his return. According to Transfer Market, York United is in advanced talks with Osaze de Rosario, the son of Dwayne de Rosario. The Canadian women's national team plays the first of two friendlies against Nigeria in Vancouver at BC Place on Friday. The second match is next Monday at Starlight in Langford. The matches will, of course, honor Christine Sinclair setting the international goal-scoring record and the career of Stephanie Labbe, who is retiring after those games. That is going to do it for us this week. Thank you, everybody, for listening. For Thomas Neff, I'm Peter Galindo. We will see you next week. <laughs>